0: Every now and then, I meet someone who is changing the world for the better by their sheer will alone. Whether they're authors, activists, or adventurers, these people are blazing a path with their deep enthusiasm and allowing the world to follow. Their passion is strong, and my passion is to tell their stories. I am Brian Platt, and this is Passion Project. So I'm here with Craig Shalley of African Wildlife Foundation, he's the Vice President Welcome, Craig. Thanks very much. Happy to be with you. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm really uh, happy for you to take the time out for this. Um, You know, you're uh, you've had a really long and storied and frankly, very inspirational um, career in conservation. Uh, Has that always been the case? Have you always been involved in conservation?
1: Well, first, thanks very much for the compliment. And and yeah, my entire career has been devoted to, to conservation in one way, shape, or form. I, I can't remember a time wherein I was not interested in wildlife and conservation. Even as a kid, it was my uh, my general focus. Um, I trained as a biologist and, and then ultimately had the good fortune to, to go to Africa in, in uh, my early 20s uh, as a Peace Corps volunteer. Um, I was teaching the sciences in Malawi during that period of time, um, but uh, but had the good fortune to to explore a lot of the the, the natural areas of the continent. So uh, so during that period of time, I I, I spent 60 nights under the stars uh, in in East African parts, and and that was kind of my introduction to wildlife conservation on the continent. Um, I was suddenly and completely hooked at the end of it, and. Uh, and fortunately, I've been able to devote the rest of my life to this kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I could see how you can get hooked. Um, you know, I've spent only a few nights in Africa. We've done a South Africa safari, um, but we're planning one to go to uh, you know, Rwanda upcoming. So that's, yeah, I could totally see how someone could get hooked on that. Um, so you recently changed career paths from science and education to kind of field conservation. Uh, what, what made you change this path?
1: Well, I think it was the opportunity. Um, I, I I was a Peace Corps volunteer in, in 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 Africa for a period of time, and and then the opportunity to to, to go to Rwanda and, and do research with uh, with Diane Bossy presented itself, and, and and of course that was uh, that was the dream come true. Uh, being able to to go to Rwanda and spend time in the field with with mountain gorillas is is a dream, and. Uh, and I had the good fortune to be able to do so, and and so during that period of time, I, I became interested in in the world of wildlife conservation writ large. Um, obviously, I I had bunches of takeaways, you know, relative to my experiences in Rwanda with Diane. Uh, but later on in my career, I, I directed the Malpelo project, and it was during that period of time um, that uh, that I became interested in in, in conservation. Um, on a broader perspective. And uh, it's during that period of time that I, I got involved in guerrilla tourism and, uh, and became focused to a degree on, on the whole idea of natural history of travel and its importance as it relates to conservation efforts. Yeah, wow.
0: Yeah. Um, you, you just mentioned Diane Fossey. What was, um, you know, she was an absolute pioneer in uh, guerrilla conservation. Um, you know, arguably wouldn't even be uh, a, really a thing without her. Uh, what was your professional uh, and personal relationship with her like?
1: Well, I agree that, that Diane is a, a very, very important player as far as mountain gorilla conservation is concerned. She brought the plight of mountain gorilla to world retention uh, The uh, National Geographic documentaries and the National Geographic magazine. That's how I was initially introduced to her, and I had the good fortune to work with her. I, I went to Rwanda. Uh, to the Karasoki Research Center at Diane's invitation and and uh worked as a researcher, um, did a combination of behavioral research, but also did a bunch of anti poaching work during that period of time. Um hmm. coaching uh, was uh was rampant uh in the late nineteen seventies and early nineteen eighties as a result of a variety of of NGO efforts that has changed dramatically but at the time it needed to be a real focus and uh and Diane uh, basically orchestrated uh, that out of the Karatsuki Research Center. Later on, it became the uh, the fundamental tour of the Rwandan National Park System. But initially, it was Diane who was conducting that.
0: Oh wow! Yeah, so, yeah. So she was definitely on the forefront, and you were, um, yeah, you were right there with her. That's uh. I, I, and I also read in doing some research, I read one thing that um you guys might have differed on in just in terms of opinion was um ecotourism. Um is that true uh, and uh, you know if so what you know if someone was looking to go and see these mountain gorillas uh what would you um you know what advice would you have to give them to find a great outfit to go touring with and then to uh you know in terms of location and timing
1: Well certainly Diane and I did differ as far as um ecotourism and its uh fundamental um approach uh, as it related to conservation, I, I had the good fortune to to, to be at Karasoki when the African Wildlife Foundation, an innovator in this field, uh, had a discussion with Diane, and they talked about uh, this integrated approach of conservation that included uh, gorilla trekking. And Diane wanted to have nothing to do with it. She she basically mm. said, "Get the hell off my mountain." <laughs> and uh, and AWF uh, went off the mountain, but they had the the, uh, the, the the good sense to basically go to the Rwandan National Park System and, and have a similar conversation. And hence, the Mountain Gorilla Project was born. hence this whole idea of Mountain Gorilla trekking was born. And, um, and it became a major part of the tourism industry in Rwanda. And personally, given my uh, experience with Mountain Gorillas and conservation, in particular in that part of Africa, I, I think it has played um an extraordinarily important role a critical role in in terms of um uh the success of mountain gorilla conservation uh, mountain gorillas are the only great ape in the world whose population is actually increasing all other great apes in africa and elsewhere um, populations are decreasing and, and i think um, one can attribute that to uh to the the conservation program model that was established in rwanda and um, a lot of that is a result of uh, the guerrilla tourism industry that, uh, that not only supports conservation but plays a really, really important role in terms of the economy of Rwanda and improving the livelihoods of people who live with, I mean, effectively, gorillas in their backyard.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Do, do you see that trend um, continuing of the, uh, you know, the population increase? Is that something that, that you know, you think will be sustained?
1: Well, I, I'm, I'm actually, um, as a as a staff member of of African Wildlife Foundation, having those conversations with the Rwandan government uh, right. Uh, right now. I, I've been in and out of Rwanda over the course of the last six months, and and happy to say that that because of the growing rural population, uh, the Rwandan government is concerned about the carrying capacity of Volcanoes National Park in Rwanda. And, um, and consequently, AWF earlier this year in January was able to purchase a piece of property immediately adjacent to Volcanoes National Park. We negotiated with the Rwandan government. Um, they basically accepted this, the donation of this land and, um, and hence the, the park boundaries have been expanded. Uh, that wow. established the precedent for, uh, for a much larger conversation. And so over the course of the next seven years, there's a plan to relatively greatly expand the boundaries of Volcanoes National Park and also create a plan of livelihood improvement for people who live in the area, all related to guerrilla tourism. So it's a, a pretty creative plan, but I, I think it, it gives you some idea as to uh, the way that the Rwandan government is presently thinking about mountain gorillas as a really, really important asset um, one that is important from a natural history and uh, an environmental standpoint, but one that directly relates to uh, the, the the future of the country in terms of people and wildlife. And, and yeah, we are the African Wildlife Foundation, but, but interestingly, a large percentage of our work is actually focused on community development and, and livelihood improvement. And, and if any conservation NGO these days believes that it's all about wildlife in terms of conservation efforts, in my opinion, they're not going to be successful. You've got to integrate the two. And and that's the way that you're ultimately going to be successful. AWF has been a real innovator in that particular field. Um, one example is Savino Silverback Lodge, uh, a very, very high-end facility in Rwanda that we helped develop uh, over the course of uh, well a number of years. It's It's been operational now for the last 10 years. I think what's unique about the lodge is that, of course, it's directly related to the tourism, but the lodge, a very high-end facility, is owned by the local community. And therefore, the local community benefits from profits that are made. Um, just a, a month ago, I was in Rwanda celebrating the 10-year anniversary of Sabina Silverback Lodge. There were thousands of community members lining the hillside, and everybody was celebrating its success. Uh, Bottom line, from from an economic standpoint, that community has netted about three point five million dollars wow. over the course of the last ten years. And if you look at it from an environmental or conservation standpoint, the gorilla population in that area is um, is growing. And I I think the community um, has effectively become conservation converts. They 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 recognize that their life and 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 their future is in one way shape or form directly related to the success of mountain gorillas and so it's a a cool story in that regard and I think it's applicable to how one thinks about conservation throughout the continent in the future
0: that's incredible that's great uh, to hear that you know it's made such a difference um this is for mountain gorillas what you know there's mountain gorillas there's eastern gorillas and there's western gorillas um, do you see the same trends with eastern and western gorillas you know are they in peril or, or were they as much of a big uh you know concern to begin with as mountain gorillas were
1: well if you take a look at the different species and or subspecies i mean there there are big differences as far as numbers are concerned historically uh but um, as i just mentioned um, the the mountain gorillas as a species, it is the only great ape in the world whose population is increasing. Right. If you take a look at the other species and subspecies species of gorillas in Africa, unfortunately, the trend is not the same. Those populations are decreasing, and uh, I think some of that is related to political instability. Um, some of it is related to, to local customs. I and mean, if you're talking about lowland gorillas, um, in that particular regard, unfortunately, populations who who live in, in nearby situations, human populations who live in nearby situations, have a a history of of basically looking at, at gorilla meat as a delicacy. Right. So the bushmeat right. trade has a real impact in in Central and West Africa and uh, it's having a real deleterious effect on gorilla populations. Add to that disease like Ebola and uh and many other diseases and and those populations as mentioned are decreasing unlike mountain gorilla populations um do i believe that some of the lessons that we've learned um from mountain gorilla conservation might be applied to uh, to the other great apes bonobos and chimpanzees and low bonobos yeah absolutely positively and we're trying to apply African Wildlife Foundation is trying to apply some of that work in particular areas um, in DRC with bonobos, um, in um, Senegal and also Cameroon, uh, as it relates to chimp and gorilla populations. And so, I I believe uh, that that there's reason to be optimistic, but um, but one can't be complacent in terms of those great ape populations.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's just the you know is. Are we able to take those learnings from that that you and AWF have so diligently created, and it, you know, uh, found? Can we take those from mountain gorillas and plug them into other species? And yeah, it's you know, I'm, it's I'm sure it has a lot to do with the country, with a stability, um, with a location, um, but you know, you, it seems like you're on to something with these with the ecotourism um, aspect. Well, I do believe.
1: I, I certainly do believe that that a lot of the lessons that we've learned in Rwanda with Mountain Gorillas are transferable, and 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 um, and so it, it it actually has created the the base for uh, a much larger initiative within the African Wildlife Foundation. We now have an African Ape Initiative, and and so we're trying to apply many of those lessons um, that have been successfully implemented um, in Rwanda to other areas throughout the continent. and and I am hopeful that um, that in many, many cases will continue to be successful.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. Um, hey, I, so I saw a video uh, online as I was doing research for this, and it's just aptly titled Craig, Charlie and the, and the Silverback. Um, <laughs> and it, it looked you might be familiar with this, but it looked as though it, you know, this massive silverback. I don't know how big, but walks right by you. And it looks as though you know, it looks right at you as though it was trying to make you submit or or to make you realize he was the alpha. Was that the case? And if so, like, does that get frightening? I mean, that, you know, it seems to be a pretty uh, pretty intense moment.
1: Well, I, I, I'm a pretty lucky guy. I've, I've had the, uh, the opportunity to be in field with gorillas for the last 40 years. And so um, I, I think it's safe to say that I, I do understand Gorilla etiquette. And, um, and, and so that understanding allows me to, to, to basically be in the midst of, of these magical critters. And the video that you're referring to, um, is just as you stated, a, a silverback comes walking towards me. I'm, I'm kind of blocked by vegetation. There's nowhere for me to go. Um, I, I think he was looking for me to submit. And, and so I used a variety of vocalizations. Belch vocalizations and, 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 whimperings, if you will, and, um, and, and basically took a lower stance and, uh, and, and ultimately he came up right beside me, uh, took a look at me, recognized that I was paying allegiance of sorts and, uh, and so all was cool and he just moved on. Um, but it's, uh, a very, very special feeling. It's, it's a very special sensation to, to, to be that close to such a, a big powerful animal and, uh, and, and basically um, allow him or, or create a situation wherein his tolerance allows me to, <laughs> to continue to be alive. Again, it's important to recognize that, that one doesn't simply go out into the midst of a group of wild revolvers. Uh, the, the, the trekking experience that, that, that people have the good fortune to experience um, is based on years and years of prior work by, by people who actually created a situation wherein the the gorillas are comfortable with humans in their presence um, the guides of course who take you out uh, understand the gorilla etiquette also and and they apply that gorilla etiquette and uh, and if you follow the, uh, the, the the directions of the guide then you too can have that special experience of, of being in the midst of a family of gorillas so
0: I've heard you say that gorillas share 98.6% uh, percent of their genes with humans. What in your mind is the most human-like characteristic that, that gorillas have?
1: Ooh, there are a lot. <laughs> I, I mean, I take people into the field and, and, and it's really an, an emotional experience to be in, in the, uh, the presence of a gorilla family. And, you know, I always tell everybody and I believe that they experience this very very quickly you you see or you look into the eyes of the gorilla and you see an awful lot of you looking back and and so you know morphologically there are, are lots of, of, of similarities in, in, in terms of eyes and nose and hands and they the way that they use all of these features but I, I think as importantly it's just the social dynamic uh, mm. gorillas are extraordinarily social animals and uh, and as a result uh, a lot of the interactions between mothers and infants and, and females and females and females and males, they're, they're comparable to what you see in human society. Wow. And that, that's what creates an affinity between us and them.
0: I can imagine. So the Trump administration has been, you know, notoriously pretty heartless about the environment, um, but seems to have targeted a lot of your, um, you know, a lot of what you work in directly uh from taking a million dollars in funding from the african elephant conservation fund to really kind of pulling out some important features in the you know endangered species act um how much does do this does this administration's policies affect you and your work
1: i i I think the impact is 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 great on a whole variety of different levels Um, Mm. you know from a funding and from a policy standpoint uh, I mean, we, we see it happening in the United States uh, and, and the impact of, of this administration on environmental issues on our national park system is right. um, immense at this particular point. And, and, and so there, there certainly is still over in terms of what we're trying to do in Africa uh, as it relates to uh, uh, funding that we previously had received from USAID, um, and um, as it relates to, to policy and, and whether or not there can be the import of endangered species products like elephant tusks um, into the United States, um, um, immense impact in, in a very very negative way.
0: Um,
1: so, how can
0: someone help uh, you know uh, uh, mountain gorillas or any of the species in Africa? without you know if they're unable to make it there to uh, for ecotourism or if they're just uh you know don't have the means how can someone help um your efforts with awf
1: well i think it's important to, to become familiar with the issues um and um, you know a lot of the the issues that one deals with relative to specific species are transferable to other species um you know above and beyond that i i think it's really really important to uh to, um to, to get engaged in and, and there are a myriad of wildlife conservation organizations out there um, do some research on uh, on the the species and or the issues that are most important to you and and then make sure that that if you're going to get philanthropically involved um, you uh, you donate to the the right organization wherein the bang for your buck is is going to have the most impact mm. and and uh, you know, I, you know, obviously I am very partial to African Wildlife Foundation at this particular point. I've, I've devoted a large part of my career to this organization. Um, but if you take a look at how we're evaluated uh, from a charity navigator standpoint, how we utilize our funds over over the last 60 years, we, we come out looking very, very impressively. And, right. and, and so I would use those tools uh, to gauge um, where you basically point your interest and and how you uh, basically apply your philanthropic dollars.
0: Well, Craig, I, I want to thank you so much for your time. Uh, there's a quote I love. It's called. It just goes pursue something so important that even if you fail, the world is better off with you having tried. Uh, I think that's applicable here, except for your your guys are succeeding so tremendously. Um, I you know we owe you big in terms of uh, you know. The future of mountain gorillas, and yeah, I think you're one of the most inspirational figures in uh, conservation. So I really appreciate this time uh, you could have, you know, you set aside to talk with me.
1: Well, thanks, Brian. Um, again, I'm a very, very lucky guy, and <laughs> and I think you know the quote that you utilize is very, very important. It's in the end, it's really, really important to be passionate about something, and and use that passion uh, to try to do good, and and hopefully uh, a little bit of what I've devoted my life uh, basically falls into that category. So, you know, thanks for the interview.
0: Of course. Thank you very much for your time, Craig. And um, I look forward to talking to you again, hopefully soon. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining. If you like that episode, feel free to rate view and subscribe. That actually really helps. If you haven't seen it yet, take a look at the accompanying blog. Don't forget your boots.com where you can read more and see photos for all the interviews.